This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Power Play, a new series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider Podcast Channel. I'm Carissa Young, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Danson Chung, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. Together, every month, both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. To kick this episode off, we're going to look at climate cooperation once again, but this time how it's been hijacked by geopolitics. When John Kerry, America's special presidential envoy for climate, visited Tianjin to meet with Chinese leaders in early September, he just got such an icy reception. Yes, Carissa, it was quite telling that senior Chinese leaders like Foreign Minister Wang Yi didn't meet Kerry face-to-face, but only via video call, when just a few weeks earlier, they had no problems you know, meeting a Taliban delegation in person. Instead, Kerry only got to meet his counterpart, Xie Zhenhua, in person. Yeah, and in terms of substance, Kerry didn't make any headway either. You know, he has been pushing China and other countries to make bigger pledges to combat climate change. You know, for example, they could have publicly committed to limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, which is more ambitious than 2 degrees. Or, you know, they could have said that they would suspend financing coal projects overseas. But there were no announcements from the Chinese on that front. Instead, they said they were sticking to their own roadmap. All in all, Danson, they didn't really give him much face. Yes, and you know what a difference it was from the sense of optimism over climate cooperation that was present when Biden first took over earlier this year. I remember, Carissa, we were talking about how climate could perhaps be one area where both sides would be able to find some common ground. Yes, back then we were saying it seemed like climate cooperation was one area where both sides were aligned. You know, China had just announced its 2060 carbon neutrality goal, and America also announced fresh targets at Biden's climate summit. Um, Washington pledged to reduce emissions by 50 to 52 percent from 2005 levels by 2030. And, you know, while this was not as much as what some climate activists wanted, this was still a lot more than what the Trump administration would have done. And the last time Kerry visited in April in Shanghai, the US and China released a joint statement pledging to work together on climate change. So it just seemed much more likely back then that they would cooperate. What do you think went wrong, Carissa? Unfortunately, I think a lot of it has to do with mistrust and past examples. Washington doesn't really have much credibility in Beijing's view when it comes to climate. In China's eyes, America overpromises and underdelivers, and this is because of what happened the last time a US president came in and promised some serious climate action, while also pushing Beijing to do the same. So that US president was Obama. He and President Xi reached an agreement which was a huge step for China, and that paved the way for the success of the Paris Agreement in 2015. But the problem was that Obama implemented this climate policy using executive action, which is easier for subsequent presidents to undo. And that's what they did. So China watched as Obama's executive actions were undone by Trump. So this time, they're not going to trust that America will follow through if Biden doesn't pass climate change legislation. So basically, they're watching to see if America's legislation matches its promises. I see. So tell me, Carissa, where is Biden now on the legislation front? Well, Danson, Democrats are drawing up this massive 3.5 trillion US dollars climate bill. So that has this one key program, which is that the government will pay for US electricity suppliers to produce more of their power from clean energy rather than coal and gas power plants. 
But this bill has many obstacles to overcome as it makes its way through Congress because Republicans have already said that they will oppose the bill, which means that every single Democrat vote is needed. And it will probably reach Biden's desk only around the end of the year, if at all. I see. I'll be betting that this will be a process that China will no doubt watch very closely. Yeah, for sure, Danson. But also, I guess even if China were to announce climate pledges, it wouldn't do so right after Kerry visited. It's more likely that it'll make announcements at UN events or at its own events, right? So it looks like Beijing is doing so of its own accord. Yeah, that's a very good point. Beijing's entire foreign policy posture has really reduced the space it has to maneuver when it comes to climate cooperation with the US. Because of how China has sort of encouraged you know, feelings of nationalism, they have to be very cautious with how they respond to the Americans. Uh, Washington's demands you know, are increasingly viewed you know, through this lens of, of bilateral tensions, and they have to be very careful not to be seen or perceived as caving to American demands. So anything that it does announce will have to be on its own terms. You know, just look at where uh, you know, China announced the 2060 uh, carbon neutrality goal uh, last year. I think it was at the UN General Assembly. You know, Kerry has repeatedly tried to ring fence the climate issue, but I think that's patently not possible. You know, Foreign Minister Wang Yi, I think, was just stating the, the present realities when he told Kerry that climate cooperation is going to be contingent on the health of bilateral relations. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. There was this really vivid metaphor which Wang Yi used. You know, he said that climate cooperation between the US and China was an oasis, but surrounding the oasis is a desert, and this oasis could be desertified very soon. So his point, Denson, as you said, is that climate cooperation cannot be separated from the wider environment of US-China relations. And, you know, just to drive home this point, um, some analysts also point out that some of these other issues are also actually climate issues. So, for example, there's this U.S. ban on solar panel raw materials from China because the U.S. says that these were made with forced labor from Xinjiang. And according to some media reports, Beijing was asking Kerry for the U.S. to lift these sanctions on these solar panel makers in exchange for greater climate cooperation. So these issues are just much harder to isolate from the broader downturn in relations. To me, I guess the one consolation is that this is still an issue that I think is uh, remains one of the top priorities of the leadership from both countries. Climate cooperation was an issue that was raised when both uh, Xi Jinping and, and Joe Biden spoke on the phone last week. You know, it was a pretty significant phone call. The last time both spoke uh, via telephone uh, was in February. But the Chinese statement of the phone call, you know, specifically singled out climate change, saying that it was both sides should continue engagement and dialogue, uh, coordination and cooperation. It was a very, very different tone uh, from the Wang Yi carry meeting just a week earlier. So, I mean, it tells me at least one thing that China feels at least some amount of cooperation is possible or even necessary. So it's looking like some of this is going to be necessary if we're going to see more ambitious pledges at the UN COP26 summit in November. Yes, I think what's scary is that that kind of cooperation is clearly lacking, or maybe the, the current environment just does not allow for that kind of cooperation to take place. You know, for example, the 2015 Paris Agreement. What paved the way for that deal was that in 2014, the US and China signed a bilateral climate agreement. And that consensus, you know, formed between the world's two largest economies and polluters was critical. You know, as, as they were, you know, hashing out the 2014 uh, climate agreement, US climate envoy Todd Stern 
and Xi Jinping had met almost monthly in the leader. I think that kind of trust is is lacking today. But on the other hand, I think China is also not immune to international pressure. You know, it doesn't want to be seen as a climate villain, and you know, Beijing also knows that what it does would have an enormous impact. You know, it's the world's largest consumer and producer of coal. It's the largest producer of renewable energy. Did you know, Carissa, that China produces 27% of the world's carbon emissions? It's the largest polluter. So there was one thing that Kerry said that really struck me.、Uh, you know, he said that China's plans to build another 200 gigawatts of coal power would undo the ability of the rest of the world to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. I did not know that, Denson, and that's really scary. So to me, that really drives home the point that without the U.S. and China's buy-in, the rest of the world can do its best, but still not be good enough. During the Trump years, Xi Jinping, I think, really moved China to take a more global leadership role, you know, on the climate front. And I think Xi knows that the world expects China to do more. I think it's why he announced in April, during Biden's Earth Day summit, that China would peak its coal use by 2025. And also, you know that China would ratify the Kigali Amendment to phase out hydrofluorocarbons. So I think there is still some hope that China will announce more ambitious plans or targets in the days ahead before the COP26 climate summit. But whether or not that will be enough to help the world keep to 1.5 degrees of warming will remain to be seen. Well, that nicely wraps up our chat. You have been listening to Power Play, and I'm Carissa Yong, and I'm Denson Chong. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. The Asian Insider Podcast Channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us.